Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. You better believe it, because you're about to feel you it. You better believe but. it. Can we make some noise for uh, Miss Kayla as well? Oh, yeah. On the keys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kayla. Um, Lord, we're so grateful to be in your house this morning, God. We just pray. We just pray that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you'd be active and working and alive inside of every single one of us on an individual basis, working and working and working in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Thanks for the prayers, guys. As Matt was away, I did survive. Uh, canned green beans is definitely a staple in my diet, like when he's not here. So um, thanks for the prayers. Again, he's back. He's full of vision. He's full of fire. And we are grateful to have the chef in the house. Amen? Because he's cooking it at home and he's dicing it up here. So um, let's just dive in this morning. We're going to go to Romans 8. If you could just turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. There's Bibles in front of you. You can take those home. Um, you can use them while you're here, whatever you got. Um, Romans 8, 1 through 17. The section is called Life in the Spirit. Verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son a sacrifice as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, and those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, and letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Verse 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature never can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Or your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature's nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. And it, but if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So that, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now you call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are, in fact, God's children. And since we are his children, 
we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I just pray right now that as we get into it, Lord, that you would just open this, that it would open like a flower to unveil your your deep, deep, meaningful, life-changing wisdom and knowledge, God. We love you and we need you in your mighty name. Everybody said, amen. All right, these things are loud. I get it. It'll just, it'll pass in time. It's winter in the Millennium Falcon, okay? These things, it's like, they kick open and they're loud and blah, 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 yeah. Um, deal with it. We got this, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, God, for this building. Um, Okay, so one of the things that is really important that the Lord has pressed on my heart this year is Bible literacy. Amen? Amen. Okay, so when we are focusing on Bible literacy um, here and at our Abide in Sons of Thunder, the three, the three primary components are read, reflect, and respond. Yes? Those are the three things that we're focusing on, and today we're going to do just that. My title this morning is Cuts the Stone. And finally, it's important in the act of Bible literacy to recognize the author and the audience of the book that we're going into. So Romans was written by our man Paul. Paul, sinner, saved by grace, a murderer of Christians, that by an incredible conversion, literally being knocked off his donkey and blinded, meeting with a resurrected Jesus, um, and encountering true salvation through Christ, later becomes one of the great forefathers of the church. Amen? That being said, Paul is writing a letter to the Church of Rome about three important topics for the believer. These are the three topics. Salvation, righteousness, and faith. This letter is to both Jews and Gentiles alike, and he spends a lot of time explaining that there is no longer separation from the two groups, right? Who in here is a Jew? Raise your hand. According to my grandmother, we have like this much. There's like something, I don't know. According to Mamaw, there's like, we're Jewish. I don't know. Um, who's a Gentile? Raise your hand. Boom, baby. That's all of us, okay? So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. But all have been made equal through Christ. Amen? Those who were under the law, the old covenant, the, covenant, the Jews, and those who knew no law and did whatever the heck they wanted. That's us, the Gentiles. Woo! Saved by grace. We know that earlier in Romans. Um, we are now free from living under the law, and we now live under the law of grace. As I mentioned the last time I spoke, it's not good behavior that determines our blessings, but it's the blessings from God freely given that should determine our behavior. Amen? As we read through Romans, Paul is outlining very clearly the foundations of our faith, the reason why we follow Christ the cancer of the soul, that is sin, death of the flesh, which is our sinful nature, by way of the Spirit, and the glory that follows the journey of becoming more like Christ. Do you hear me, people? Wonderful. So, now knowing that, let's read this through one more time, following along as we break all of this down, and we reflect on what we're reading. Feel free to take notes. Feel free to look up words. This is what Bible literacy looks like. And this is a process that, that, as we do here in church, as we do at Abide, as we do at Sons of Thunder, when you're on your own and you're reading through Genesis or Habakkuk or Revelation or personally my favorite, Job, um, you will be able to apply all of these characteristics to your Bible reading, okay? Because not knowing how to read your Bible is 
dangerous, right? Because that means some split-tongue hype priest can come along and tell you that it says something that it doesn't. Yes? So we need to understand for ourselves how to read the Bible. We don't, we don't need to rely on a pastor. We don't need to rely on our parents or a friend. We need to be able to read the word for ourselves. Can I get an amen? Okay. So the ba- this is a basic concept of the Christian faith is Bible literacy. And I've heard some people say recently, like, well, I don't know, the messages that take over are so intense. Like, I just need milk. Or maybe you need self-control, right? Or maybe you just need self-discipline. And, or maybe you just need to stop living in rebellion. Because how does a little dog get to run with the big dogs or get to become a big dog? By running with the big dogs, yes? That's how we do it. Um, we... Milk is important. You're going to get some of that every single time you come here, but we're here for the meat. We're here to grow big people. We're here to be Holy Spirit heavyweights. Can I get an amen? All right, let's get swole. Paul takes a moment here to talk about God, the Father, his son Jesus, and the plan to overcome sin. So verse 1, looking at Romans 8 verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If we belong to Christ... There is no being wrong as we are within God's will. There is no cancellation. There is no sentencing. There is no punishment. We have truly been utterly and completely forgiven. Amen. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the living spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin, which leads to death not only of the flesh, but of our eternal souls by way of separation from God has no power over us because of the spirit of God. It has freed us from sin's power over us. Verse three, the law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his only son in a body just like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. We are weak to sin. The law that was established through Moses was not enough to save us because we were constantly overcome by our sinful nature. Then God sends his beautiful perfect son to live in a body of flesh just like ours but unlike us Christ lives a life that is free from the death causing cancer of sin and it is through his death through the death of our savior his sacrifice that the power of sin over us is broken forever no one's excited I said broken forever Thank you. Verse four, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. The requirement of the law was a sacrifice equal to the cost of our sin. Did you hear that? The requirement for the law was a sacrifice equal to the cost of our sin. We simply could not pay it no matter how good of a life we tried to live, it would never, ever be enough. A sinless life, a spotless lamb was the payment. It took for us to be fully out from under the law of death, sin, and the grave. Amen? Amen. 
Now, starting with verse 5, Paul turns the narrative from what Christ has done for us to what he is capable of doing through us. Everybody say, I'm excited. I'm excited. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. We are either dominated by sin or we are dominated by the Spirit. One causes us to think of sinful things. The other causes us to think about the things God thinks about, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. We can either be dominated by the spirit of the age, that is sin, or dominated by the spirit of God. One leads to death, not only physical death, but also spiritual death. The other leads to life and peace and becoming like God by becoming righteous, by becoming holy. Paul is saying very clearly that our minds are controlled by one thing or the other thing. We are slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. What we set our mind on matters. Amen? What we set our mind on matters. Angela, can you please turn the heat down? The Millennium Falcon is roasting me. Thank you. I know I asked for it, but now I'm, now I'm sweaty. Verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never freaking will. Amen. We have to see sin as an entity, as a force. In the way that we see the Holy Spirit as a person, we have got to see the spirit of sin as a force that can fill us, that can control our mind. Just like when Judas decided to betray Christ, he was filled with Satan. He was filled with the force of sin. Our minds are controlled by sin when we live in our flesh. And living in our flesh means we are hostile to God. So I would take a moment and I would look up the word hostile. Hostile means in opposition. In opposition means we are an enemy to God. Because we're dense and we need that kind of language to make this real, right? We hear hostile and we're like, whoo! We hear enemy of God and we're like, whoa. That's intense, yeah? The flesh does not want to obey God. And there is nothing we can do in our own strength to make our flesh obey the law of God. Paul goes as far as saying in Romans 7, the chapter before, 18 through 19, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Who relates to that? Four of us. Cool. The struggle is real. The fight is real. Cole, thank you, my man. And it takes everything in us empowered by the Holy Spirit to break free from the bondage and corruption of sin. Are you hearing me this morning? Verse 8, that's why those of us who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. When our minds are controlled by sin and we live in our flesh, we can never hope to please God. We are his enemy in that moment. We are opposed to the work that he wants to do through us. We are dead to the freedom that he has for us. Verse 9, 
but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Everybody, I am not controlled by my sinful nature. Let's go. Amen. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. The Holy Spirit is marking you. Your marking of the Holy Spirit shows your affiliation with Christ and our belonging to him. He's declaring you are not controlled by sin. You are controlled by the very Spirit of God living within you. Verse 10, and Christ lives within us. With, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Our, we are eternal beings, and we have mortal bodies. These are spacesuits. We're traveling from one place to the next. These spacesuits will wear out. Yeah? The spacesuit will die. Whether we have the Spirit of God or we don't have the Spirit of God, this whole thing, you'll slough it off. It'll go on the ground. But our eternal selves will live in the presence of God forever and be in relationship with him if we love Christ. If we love Christ. Verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies with the same spirit living within you. God gives life to our mortal bodies and there is the promise of our future bodies perfected when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen. My spiritual body is going to be totally shredded and 12 feet tall. I'm going to be huge. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, I don't know that I actually get to pick that, but you know, 12 feet, that'd be kind of cool. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Zero obligation. You owe sin nothing. Say it with me. I owe sin nothing. We can deny it. We can deny sin. We can deny it daily. Regardless of season or circumstance or situation, or what seems like the overwhelming power of the world, we can deny sin the power of controlling our actions, poisoning our minds, and destroying our very lives. Sidebar, I shouldn't have to tell you that as Christian people, when we have sin in our life, it affects more than just us. When we, when we are Christian folk and we have sin in our lives, it affects our spouse, it hurts them, it affects our children, it betrays them, it wounds our families, it breaks them, and it hurts the church that's coming around you as a spiritual home, as a spiritual covering. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And lastly, being a Christian, having sin in your life, it snatches the power out of your testimony. You've got to have a purified life, constantly being purified for your testimony to have any power at all. Amen? Verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. Speaking about sin. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Okay, so this here gets really good. There's two kinds of death. I love this. I'm so excited. Um, <clears throat> two kinds of death are discussed here. Death, that is the result of sin, and death of sin as a result of the Spirit. Let's go! Come on! Let's go. This means we can kick sin's butt and yeah, yeah. We're not powerless here. 
what sin would do to us, which is to say destroy us completely, <laughs> we get to do sin through the power given to us by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. We get to destroy sin. Are you hearing me, people? The spirit of sin and the spirit of God cannot tolerate each other. One will choke out the power of the other in our lives. The choice is ours to which one we allow to flourish and grow inside of us, yes? Verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. That's us. That's all there is to say. Amen? Verse 15, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. There's no fear. Instead, you've received God's spirit, which when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. We were orphans. We were fearful slaves to sin, to a hateful master who hated us, who wanted to destroy us, who did not love us, the devil. Now we are adopted as children of God. Not just ado adopted, but ransomed, paid for, bought, stolen from the clutches of death. And just like Christ, we have a father in heaven. His name is holy. We pray that his kingdom would come, that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And we know that God is our father. Heaven is our home. His kingdom is ours through sonship and daughtership in Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise break. Come on. And when we say Abba, when we call God our Father, we are saying one. We're saying it from our heart to his heart when we say Abba, Father. Two, we're recognizing his power and his authority, which isn't, it's not a daddy God thing. When you say Abba, it's not daddy God, okay? It's a humbling pronouncement that our lives are no longer our own. Are you tracking with me? Abba is a Hebrew word that does not, it does not translate to dad or daddy in English. The depth of the title invokes not only intimacy, but obedience. Yes? One author puts it like this, Abba is heart language. But Abba is not only a feeling word, it is also a discipleship word. The difference is when I say, when my dad asks me for something, and I say, sure thing, Papa. And I say, yes, Father. That's the difference. That's my dad, by the way, right, right there. Mr. McClure, everybody turn and wave. I'm going to hear about it later. There's a difference between when I, when I say, sure thing, Papa, and I say, yes, Father. Are you hearing that? That's the difference. That's what Abba, Father, means. It's saying that we submit. We're saying that we obey. In the same breath as Abba, as we pray Abba, we have to recognize that we're also saying, not just to Abba, but to the great I am. I submit my life to you. I choose your way over my way. Amen? Verse 16. For a spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Just like young Micah talked about this morning, affirmed. We are overcomers. We are conquerors. God's spirit joins with our human spirit. We are affirmed. Signed, sealed, delivered. Even before we knew God, we had a spirit. 
a human spirit. That is the eternal part of us. That's the part of us that will live forever, either in communion with him forever or in the dark, dark place where the gnashing of teeth take place, tormented forever in utter darkness, separated from him completely. When we recognize what Christ has done for us, the spirit of God joins with our human spirit, affirming us, directing us, and purifying us. Last verse here, 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. I remember uh, having a conversation with a friend long ago, and he was just like, man, if I was a Christian, God, I won't worry about anything. I'd just be like, woo! <laughs> and I was like, hmm, yeah, cool. That's the way it should be, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. We should be getting there. Chill as a monk. We're working on it. But it doesn't mean that we bypass all of the pain and all the things. It's just like cupcake rainbow time, yeah? That's not how it works. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's not bypass all the pain and suffering in the world. Uh, life is fun, fun times. Not. It's not promised to us. It's just not. Find it in the Bible. Prove me wrong. <laughs> it's not in there. Um, but what is promised to us is that God will be with us and within us, leading us, guiding us, partaking in our sufferings, literally partaking in our sufferings. It says that when we don't have words to cry out to God, the Holy Spirit within us groans on our behalf. When we don't have the words, there's a spirit within us that is groaning, that is partaking of our suffering and continually drawing us back onto him all the days of our lives. Amen? To share with you personally, as a fellow human, um, and someone who was once living under sin, a spirit of sin, but who has since been ransomed from that death by Christ and his incredible sacrifice for me, this, this journey has been hard. Sometimes it has, this has been the hardest journey of my life. Before I chose Jesus and currently being with Jesus, I, I've had more challenges and tribulation choosing Jesus. I have not been alone for a single moment. And I praise God for that. I've also plugged in so hard to this church. There's not a single day where I'm going to suffer and somebody's not going to know about it and be praying for me and lifting me up. Yeah? That's what the church is for. The journey's hard. It's painful. And it's painful because of the stupid things that I do. When I open the door and I, I let sin in and I hurt myself and I hurt the people around me. And it's painful as areas of my life continue to be pruned and altered and killed by the Spirit of God. Who loves having areas of their life killed by God? That's right. You guys are hardcore. Last time I shared with you, I talked about some of the things that I used to feed on when I was like in the world. They used to feed me. Some, some of them were not necessarily sinful, but it was just like, just where I am now, looking back on the things that used to feed me, I was like straight up eating out of a trash can. I was like eating garbage. I was eating trash. And... Then the Holy Spirit came and just continued to sanctify me and change my life and the person that I've become. And the more, the more, further I go along with him, the more the things of this world grow strangely dim. Yeah? It becomes harder and harder for me to understand, looking back from my perspective now, how I used to feed on those things. The things that used to feed me. And yes, it really makes me wonder about the state I was in when I was eating garbage. <laughs> you know? I was like in rough shape like rough, rough shape. 
I went from eating literal trash to eating spiritually 100% organic, non-GMO, grown on a virgin island, dropped in my lap, word of God, spirit of God fruit. Amen? Yes? Let's make it real. Let's reflect, right? Because we've read, now we're going to reflect. Yeah? We were chatting at Abide. There's lots of different conversations going on, lots of different people in different seasons of life. And someone was saying that, like, as they go further along with Christ, they're saying it hurts. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel good. Like, I don't know what's going on, but right now, it just, if I feel like I'm dying. And I'm like, yeah, who relates to that? Okay, if you don't relate to that, we should probably talk after class because coming to know Christ and him changing my life is painful, but it is the greatest thing that will ever, ever happen to any one of us in this world. Yes? If you remember in verse 13, it says, for if you live by its dictates, that being sin, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. live. The Spirit of sin and the Holy Spirit cause death. They both cause death. Are you hearing me? Sin is a great corrupter, taking what was God's beautiful creation in us and poisoning and twisting and leading to decay and death. And in a similar yet opposite way, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit comes and it starts to kill parts of us that are diseased by sin. Imagine yourself as a fruit tree. We're going to illustration. Jesus did it all the time. I'm going to do it, okay? Imagine yourself as a fruit tree. You're big. You're tall. You got lots of branches. You got lots of fruit. Yeah? Your roots, they run deep. What's your primary objective as a fruit tree? To grow fruit. Let's make it spiritual. You were created to grow and produce fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I always forget number seven. Yeah, I'm working on it. I asked the kids to remind me. The kids are actually learning it. Tabitha and all of them, they know it. And by producing these fruits, others come into contact with those fruits, and they themselves are changed. Amen? Now sin comes. We let it into our lives. And we see the first signs of something called fire blight. Yeah? Fire blight is a highly infectious, destructive disease that attacks fruit trees. It can kill blossoms and shoots and cause dieback from, of branches. And cankers, which are like big sores, pustules, that break open and they ooze out the lifeblood of the tree. Pleasant. <laughs> Christina's like, nice. Pustule. You worked that in there. I did. Fire blight stops a tree from having a healthy yield. Severe fire blight can cause trees to die. Not only can this cause the one infected tree to die, but much like sin, it is highly infectious and can be carried on the wind and infect surrounding trees. The only way to save the tree let's be real, to save the entire orchard, orchard amen, yeah. is pruning. Right. Pruning is the process of cutting away the infected, unwanted material. Sometimes the superficial pieces need to be cut off, superficial, teeny tiny. Other times entire limbs need to be chopped off from this tree, yeah? yeah. Now, think of this in application to your life. 
and in the way of sin. Entire limbs have to be cut off your life. Who wants to sign up for that? It's painful, am I right? Think about how painful that is. Every single Christian in this room is united in the pain of having God cut something out of their lives. Yes, and that's good. We should be grateful for that. Now, if you haven't felt spiritual death, like I said, we should talk after class um, because it takes extreme effort for us to resist the working of the Lord and remain in a place like this, yeah? The death cost each of us must pay to follow Christ is the payment of the crucifixion of our flesh. Flesh with a capital F, that is our sin nature. It is the payment of daily denial of self. It is the willingness to crawl up on the altar and die again and again and again. For some of us, that death can look like we stop gossiping and slandering other people. You know, maybe it's like hard for us to, what do you talk to people about if you're not talking about people anymore? If the Lord cuts off that huge chunk of your life that was there forever, what do you talk about with people if the Holy Spirit's living in your mouth now? Sorry, spitting. Baptismo. If you've been there, you know it sucks. (laughs) It's painful. It hurts. Death to sin can look like I don't know. You stop having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You stop looking at pornography. You stop fantasizing about people that you see on a daily basis or strangers willy-nilly. You stop. The Lord comes, he cuts, and he cauterizes it, and he throws it into the fire. The thoughts and actions that used to feed your flesh are replaced by the sanctification of your members growing up in your salvation. And it hurts. Going back from having sex to holding hands sucks. That hurts. Uncomfortable, right? Weird. Deleting apps off your phone? Living in in open confession and having accountability? Letting somebody into all the corners of your life? Painful transparency. Who knows about it? This guy. Pleading the mind of Christ over yourself daily. Not thinking the same way. Not looking at people like sexual objects but seeing them as sons and daughters of Christ. If this doesn't relate to you specifically, there are so many other areas that it does. It's rough. It's painful, but it's purified. Amen? Sometimes the cutting away is of an entire friend group because they no longer support you or feed you, and in fact, they poison you and they pull you down. Yeah? And that often means saying goodbye to people you've loved and you've loved for a long time. And, and it often looks like them not understanding. Right? That hurts. Life is hard, and we all go through trauma, every single one of us. Some of us have been numbing that trauma and the anxiety that comes from that trauma with with weed, with alcohol, with the sex, whatever it is. God calls us into deeper waters where our trust is in him. It's in him, and it's in the working of the Holy Spirit, outworking that pain and that anxiety and, and those failures, trusting him. The Holy Spirit is able to recognize, heal, mend, and make hold. It's excruciating, but it's beautiful. We feel the pain of dramatic life alteration, both internally and externally, yeah? As the Holy Spirit works, we don't let sin have control over our minds, and we begin to prefer the things the Spirit loves. We begin to prefer the things the Spirit loves. We think on things of the Spirit instead of burning with anger and rage. We burn with a desire to know God deeply and to see him rightly. 
to trust him completely and to be ourselves wholly. Instead of dwelling in fear and victimization, we see ourselves rightly as overcomers, empowered by Christ and motivated by the spirit of love and power. Instead of sitting in a seat of judgment, being overcome by pride, we lower ourselves in humility and meekness and extend grace to those around us as grace has been extended to us by God. And with that death to sin comes what? New life. Freedom. Freedom! But if you've worn shackles all your life and the Holy Spirit comes along and cuts those off, it's going to hurt. Your, your flesh will have grown around the shackles. And when it's cut off, you're going to feel that pain. You're going to feel the, the pain of the cutting away. But it's a different kind of pain. The pain of sin is, is pain where there's no hope. And pain from the Holy Spirit is only temporary. And it's to cut away so that more can come, more can grow. When we cut back those fruit trees... It's crazy. A farmer will tell you, yeah, just cut, just cut the whole top off. Just, yeah, cut it off. It will grow back the next year with, with more fruit, larger fruit, a ro- more robust. God knows what he's doing, y'all. He knows what he's doing when he cuts us back. The spirit drives you towards freedom. The spirit of life drives us towards freedom, and the spirit of sin drives us deeper into bondage. Do you hear me this morning? So, shifting gears. For those of you who don't know, I am a formally trained fine artist. Um, I don't do anything with it anymore, but (laughs) I used to. I went to school for it, and I had to study uh, a lot of art history, which I love, because art history, like, aligns with, like, history history, so it's it's really cool. Um, And uh, and I love it. So for those of you who don't know, I am formally trained fine artist. Uh, shepherding is not my first vocation, right? Um, one of the periods that we studied when I was in art history was called the Italian Renaissance. And one of the most famous artists of that time was Michelangelo di Lodovico Bonarroti Simonai. Actual pronunciation. Boom, baby, yeah! I only had to practice it for like 15 minutes yesterday. If, you don't, if you've never heard of Michelangelo, you've heard of the Ninja Turtle that was named after him, amen? Yeah, yeah? Yeah? If you've never heard of Michelangelo, then you have 100% seen his work. Slide one. Boom, baby. Man, that does not look good up there. Can we turn the lights off? Just for... Oh, that's a little better. Okay. Yeah, I won't fall. I got it. Feet planted. Okay. This is the Sistine Chapel, and I'm sure all of you have seen photographs of this, right? Wow, I feel like, I feel like this is a lecture. I feel like a real teacher, guys. Welcome to my Art History 101. This is the Sistine Chapel. It was, it's a fresco painting um, from between 1508 and 1512, because it took a long time to do. Uh, this is a religious fresco painted by Michelangelo, um, and you can see all of these different elements. It's, it's crazy town. Um, you can see God and Adam. You can see Adam and Eve at the top. They're having a conversation with God. Um, God is angry here in this lower quarter, quarter. This thing is huge, and this is just a ceiling. If you look at slide two, uh, this is a chapel. It's 118 feet long. It's 41 feet wide. 
and the ceiling is 66 feet high. So when he painted this thing, he was on this crazy scaffolding, and he was laying on his back doing this, right? Figure that one out. I don't know. It must have been the Holy Spirit. This is for sure Michelangelo's, like, one of his most famous works. But if you have not seen this, then you have 100% seen this next one. Slide three. This is Michelangelo's David. David, yes. David, our David. The man who would be king of Israel, David. Buck naked. Don't know why. Maybe it's because Saul's armor didn't fit him correctly. Don't know. But I put a little uh, modesty square there so we wouldn't get distracted. Okay, I'm not resentful. I'm not resentful, right? But Michelangelo was 26 years old when he was commissioned to do this work. 26. I'm 10 years older than him now, and I've never achieved anything. (laughs) Anything... uh, quite spectacular is that. I mean, besides Takeover Church. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Okay. So cut from a single slab of marble. One slab. This is 17 feet tall. 17 feet tall. It weighs 12,000 pounds. And he used forced perspective. So because everybody who's looking at it is down here and it was meant to be like on the top of a church. What? And he used forced perspective. He made the head and the upper torso and the hand larger so that when you're looking at it from below, he looks like he's perfect perspective. But when you're up above, like those gals giving him a, a brushy brush, you can see his hand and his upper body is larger. That's madness to me. It took three years to complete this. And if you've noticed one thing about Michelangelo's work, slide three, it's the amount of detail that he puts into his work. Well, next slide. So his hands and his feet, right? There's veins present in his hands. This thing's made out of marble. It's one piece of stone. One piece of stone. You can look at his toenails and his toes as he's turning. It's almost like they're gripping. You can see the muscle moving and the ligaments as he's almost straining as he stands on that platform. It's incredible. He didn't miss a thing. There is a story about his Moses that has a blemish on the knee where his Moses looked so real, he had to strike it on the knee with an awl to make sure it wasn't a real human being. Is it true? I don't know. But like artists and Southern papas always say, that's how the story goes. The thing we're getting after here is the insane detail, right? Now, look at this next piece. What do you think about this in comparison to... David. <laughs> what was that, Grant? <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> okay, the real question is, does it look finished to you? Okay. This piece and a few more pieces like it are titled Slaves or Prisoners. And it is, in fact, complete. So you can take it up with Michelangelo, yeah? The style of stone sculpting that is used in marble sculpting is called reductive. It means that you take a solid block and all you do is take away. It is never adding anything on. It is the art of meticulous removal. Which means that Michelangelo started with a solid block. And as the story goes, he could look at a solid block and he could see the figure inside. He could see the figure inside. And by way of chisels and hammers, he would work to free the figure from the stone. And when it comes to these pieces, 
where you can see the figure is not clearly free from the stone, it's easy to imagine that he did not finish it. Take a look. Look at the weight on this figure. Look at the way his muscles are bulging as he literally looks like he's fighting to be free from this rock. You can't barely see it, but it's his arm coming up like this, and you can see his eyes. You can see his eyes right there in the bridge of his nose as he's just fighting his way to get free. His entire head is consumed in the rock. His face is barely visible. His feet are consumed. His legs are, are wrapped in this unforgiving stone. Last slide. Look at the anguish on the face of this figure. His chin is tilted up, and that's a beard. You see the bridge of his nose and his eyes. Look at the anguish as he fights. Look at his heaving stomach. It's like he's sucking in breath to try to get free from this rock, from this extreme constraint. Michelangelo created these works to represent our fight against sin in the material confines that we find ourselves and that wish to ensnare us and, bond, and keep us in bondage in this world. That, that is the intent of these pieces. Some of the figures are barely touched. There's an arm and a leg and a partial torso representing very plainly what we look like when sin rules in our minds. The more the Holy Spirit lives in us and causes areas of our lives that are sinful, full of blight, infectious, contaminated, through the painful, though painful is the cutting and the chipping away, the more free we become. And when you are saved, God starts with large chunks. He'll just start going to town and knocking big chunks off from your life. He breaks off old habits, relationships that no longer feed you, that don't grow us, but rather tempt us back into sin. And then as the pieces get smaller and smaller, the rasping, the refining, the defining, the smoothing, the perfecting you in your faith. Amen? Is a process that continues all the days of our lives. If you want to stand. And often the Lord will have to show us the places where we, will, we are still bound. Yeah? Where we are not yet free. And yes, we will have to continue the uncomfortable process of having these old and dead aspects of ourselves cut off. New believer or seasoned saint, God is at work in your life. My question for you this morning is, are you working with the sculptor? Are, are you leaning away from the work that he is trying to do? The process of refinement is crucial to be done with a church body because the Holy Spirit wants to get his hands on areas in your life that you're going to have a hard time seeing. But if you're in community, we're going to be able to help. Yeah? Because we belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. And remember once more that the power of death is twofold. Death and sin causes us to die. It causes us to live a life filled with blight and with bondage. It ultimately kills our mortal bodies and it kills our souls by damning us to eternal separation from God. The power of death wielded by the Holy Spirit is a power that breaks us loose. It's a power that draws us onto God. It's a power that kills the sin in our lives and sets us completely free.
We've read, we've reflected, and now we respond. And God is asking us to respond this morning by leaning into the work that he's doing. Whether it's the pruning or the chiseling or the cutting away, I don't know what it is, but you do. And the Holy Spirit is alive and active in you if you believe and you love Jesus Christ. And this morning, if we could just all bow our heads, just give some privacy and just visualize yourself before God. Just you before him. If Jesus is someone you've never accepted into your heart and you wanna do that this morning, I wanna lead you in a salvation prayer. If he's someone you have accepted, but you've backslidden, there's brokenness in your life, there's, there's a chipping and a breaking away that needs to take place, it's okay too. So right now, you and me and God, if that's you and you wanna know Jesus, you wanna come back to Jesus, just raise your hand so I can see your hand this morning. Anybody in the house? Just a couple hands. All right, come on. That's good. Anybody else? All right, let's pray this together as one body. Abba, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you that his death was enough to pay the price for my sin. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. Holy Spirit, come and live here. And Lord, lead me into the ways of your good sculpting work. Prune me, free me, and make me more like you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all the saints said, amen.